Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. some people out there who don't know who Dick Cavett is, so let me tell you, when I was uh, growing up, he was on TV all the time, and there was uh, the Carson Show and Merv Griffin and people like that, and they were always fun, but you knew Dick Cavett would have people different than uh, what the other guys got. You know, he would have like Groucho Marx, Catherine Hepburn, John Lennon, he had like, you know, the greatest authors, he'd have like Richard Burton on, and it was like an amazing thing. And so recently, Dick Cavett came over to my apartment, and we recorded an interview where he talks about Groucho Marx and Johnny Carson, and he does impressions of these little-known character actors, so... If you think you know who Dick Cavett was before this interview, well, take it from me. You don't know Dick. You're listening to the amazing Colossal Podcast with Gilbert Gottfried. I'm Gilbert Gottfried, and I'm here with my co-host, Frank Santo Prod. <laughs> See, I still can't Santo say it. You'll get it out. You'll get it out eventually. Yeah. Santo Padre. Well done. Yes. You're, you're kidding, of like, course. One time, one time in the middle of a show, I, I said, I'm here with my co-host and dear friend, Frank, and I had to lean over and go, what's your last name? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there's, you meet so many Santo Padres over yes. the years. Who the hell Just, can keep them straight? I, I th- right, well, uh, you can be forgiven. So, so anyway. Oh, could I make a one problem clear? My earphones are so fucking loud that uh, I, I'm, I'm dizzy. Okay. Uh, that's better. That's better. That's better. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Okay. Can you say loud on this show? Yeah. Okay. Well, we're here. Yes. <laughs> we're still Some here. Of, Some of since, us are. Since the Shirley Temple. Um, well, we were discussing how Shirley Temple, and when Shirley Temple died, that she was supposedly discovered by Harpo. 
when she was a child. The story goes. The Harpo yes, discovered he, Shirley. Yes, saw her walk. No, uh, Alfred Harpo. Oh. <laughs> yeah. On the, he, the story. No the, relation. Of the Jersey Harpos. Yes. That's yeah. the, yeah. the story goes that Harpo saw her on the set of Horse Feathers. He saw her parents walking past with her and wanted, was, wanted to uh, adopt her. Just thought she was the most beautiful child. This could be my friend Robert Bader, who's got an essential book coming out eventually about the brothers, uh, would would be able to would know that for sure. Um, I, see, I'm too young. I'm, aren't all of us here to have seen Shirley Temple in her day, um, and then as an adult, I I don't think her movies played Grand Island, Nebraska, perhaps, but then later I saw. The pedophile's dream, Shirley Temple, um, <laughs> in just about everything. Should Can we you say that on the <laughs> Gottfried show? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cause, well, I usually shy away from that type of stuff, but still, <laughs> uh, you're known for shying I, away. I, I should introduce <laughs> yes, I, our that guest. That would be a good idea. <laughs> I'm dying to know. <laughs> When when I remember years ago, there was like Johnny Carson and Merv Griffin, and and, and it's like, what what's what's the matter? By chewing your cracker is oh, it, it's oh, that's, fine. That's fine. That's that's the least problem with this show. Step that here. Um, there was Johnny Carson and Merv Griffin, all both enjoyable, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. then. There was another show that would get these people on that you'd never see with Carson or Merv Griffin. And there would be like these actors that had never appeared. And that was our guest, uh, Dick Cavett. That was the Dick Cavett show. I'm told this all the time. You know, I never set out to get people nobody ever got. Um, And yet it happened. I've never been entirely sure why. I do know that. I got a lot of big people before having Miss Catherine Hepburn on. Uh, but after that, it became, in a way, the show to do for people like that. I, now, you had um, <clears throat> Catherine Hepburn, Betty Davis, Groucho Marx, uh, John and Yoko, who would never be on a talk show. Yeah, that was their first time to come on after the breakup. Uh, they wanted to come on something. They wanted to meet me. I went over to the St. Regis, and there they were on the bed. Nothing salacious here. Yeah. They were just, they were working. John had a lot of work laid out on the bed. And um, they had just finished shooting a bit with Fred Astaire by a handheld wow. 16 millimeter, if that's technically possible, uh, for a movie John made, which I was then put in as I was there. <laughs> Standing among a line of men, and whisp- one whispered to me, and I told this something to that one, and so on. I never saw this film, but uh, but I was in it. And then John, I remember the first time John made me laugh, and he was so accessible. Did you ever meet him? No. He was so easy. You felt like, as you did in the same way with Groucho Marx, the minute you met him, you was your friend, and you talked easily, and there was no awkwardness, and uh, not many people have that. And anyway, John had that, and. Uh, and then I said, well, what, what, why me? And he said, well, um, you've got the only halfway intelligent talk show. And 
I said, why would you want to be on a halfway in <laughs> <laughs> And like you, he laughed. <laughs> and we were sort of hit it off from that point on, yeah. But um, the other day, a radio guy said, you've got a box set of DVDs out. This is certain, in no way resembles a plug. Uh, you've got several out. But the one called Hollywood Greats, he said, who's on that? And I thought, well, you should tell me. You're the... And I, I had a copy of it there. And I said, let's see, we got Catherine Hepburn, Betty Davis, Fred Astaire, Groucho Marx, Kirk Douglas, Frank Capra, and Mel Brooks, Lucille Ball, Robert Mitchum, Marlon Brando, Alfred Hitchcock, and Orson Welles. And as I looked at it, I thought, we gave away way too much here. <laughs> That's a lot. One box, the whole show is there. Sadly, in its way... Rosengarden's great witty musical play-ons and offs because the music rights are so complicated and had to be uh, excised largely. But um, like when I had the great Jan Morris on, the British soldier who became James Morris, who became Jan Morris uh, after being James Morris and uh, father of four and Queen's Royal Fusiliers or whatever. She was very hesitant to come on about her book Conundrum about her sex change and uh, I winced as she came out because I had been warned she might haul at uh, leave um, and Rosengarden played there'll be some changes made <laughs> clever. that's clever she didn't catch it uh, and she was there for 90 enthralling minutes now can can you tell us this is a story I heard that about your report cards in school. I found a bunch of my old report cards, if this is what you are yes. not only referring but alluding to. <laughs> and, <laughs> and every one of them, since in those days a school teacher was an old, uh, pardon me, an unmarried <laughs> lady, um, Miss Gabus and Miss Fuchs and Miss Wilson and Miss Cross and Miss um, so Graham and I don't know. Every one of them in my grade school years had written as if they had conspired. Oh, and Dick has to learn to be more considerate of others. <laughs> and the other comment that was in at least three out of five that I dredged up Dick must learn to control his talking. <laughs> You know how evil it is to talk. The old bag. I I remember, like, back then, when TV used to have, like, old movies and everything, old 24 hours. The late show. Oh, oh yeah. yes. Sure. Yes. Million dollar movie. Yeah. Diddy, diddy, diddy. The musical diddy, clock. Diddy, yes. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. And, I, I, you know, so I fell in love with all the Marx Brothers movies. And then... I remember I would watch Groucho pop up on your show, yeah. where it, <laughs> where he'd wear like a little, uh, you know, cap, a golf cap, a golf the cap. With the bird on it, yes, yeah. and a turtleneck, right. and a That's couple right. of balls, yes, right. a couple That's of right. balls with clown faces on them, yeah, yeah. and <laughs> and he would get into these long talks with you where it would be like. When we were doing motion pictures, and these were pictures where there was motion going on, 
And uh, they, they, they were talking pictures because these were pictures where people would talk. And, That's uncanny. <laughs> Should hear his gumbo. You have one of the best ears in show business, by the way, as you know. But one, uh, the first time I ever saw you, I don't know if it was your Claude Rains that knocked me out, so, or somebody else. But I know, and I won't lord it over you, that as far as I know, you have never mastered my specialty. Oh. Richard Liu. Oh, okay. Want to hear Richard Liu? Yes. This will take yes. You back. Richard Liu, oh. for those who don't know, was a Chinese actor who specialized in Japan, evil Japanese generals. He was all the nasty Japs in movies. Oh, yes. <laughs> irony, of course, of it. Well, that's, it's all right to say that. The yeah, New York sure. Times, Japs bomb Pearl Harbor. Sure. Uh, truly. But it sounds funny now. It's a documentary yes. that I saw. I, I, see, I get in trouble with the Japanese. I know, so I've yeah, had some but, issues there. Yeah. I am of the Japanese. I've been queer for Japan since I was about <laughs> five years old. I got all the books out of the Grand Island Public Library. And now my Japanese spoken is good enough. This is frightfully thing to brag about, that I can fool Japanese on the phone. <laughs> now, so you're Richard Liu. Richard, yeah, yeah. As, you, as you were st- launched into saying, and I interrupted you, yeah. oh. Chinese actor who ironically played all the evil Japanese who were murdering and raping his people at that time in the world. Well, that was an world interesting thing because the Chinese were sort of getting revenge on the Japanese in movies mm-hmm. by playing evil Japanese, as bad as they could, just like uh, Jewish actors who escaped from Europe were playing Nazis. That's right. For everybody from Walter Slezak to uh, Helmut Dantin, who else played Nazis? Um, Slezak, by the way, you remember him, of course. Yes. He oh, seems to be always sure. in a yeah. Wehrmacht, yeah. or not Wehrmacht, but Schutzstaffel, you know, <laughs> uh, a, Japanese, a German colonel, a German... Had him on an early show, and I had just come back from Germany, and I had just come back from Austria, and I said, you know, when I was over there, and you cross the border, and you the money, you get the wrong money, and and I sometimes I didn't know if I was in Germany or if I was in Austria or what, and uh, what's the difference between being an Austrian and being a German anyway? I said, and he said, oh, don't you know? And I said, no. What's the difference in Germans and Austrians? The difference is that the Germans were Nazis. <laughs> Takes a beat. Now, there was I a, think for the dummies, uh, he filled it in and said, and the Austrians are. There um, was but a, the interesting thing about that is it's true. There was another actor, Oscar something. Oscar Werner? Oscar Homolka. <laughs> Oscar Karlweiss. Oscar No, no, Homolka. he he was Oscar in... Homolka. He was in a Twilight Zone episode, Welcome to Death's Head, where he played a Nazi officer revisiting a camp. Are you sure his name was Oscar? I have to look this one up. I think so. It couldn't have been my very favorite actor of all time. Which one? Akeem Tamaroff? Um, Yeah. (laughs) Oh, God, don't let me blank on his full name. His last name is von Seifertitz. (laughs) 
That one I wouldn't wow. remember. <laughs> Google it, seriously. Yeah. It's not Rudolph, von, and it's a fawn, von Seifert. Can you look up the Twilight Zone Sure, we'll get episode. Dara right on that. Yeah. And then look up Dead. von Seifert. Our crack staff is working on it. want to look up. As we speak. Because uh, he was a German Jew, and yeah. uh, he specialized in Nazi office. So will you do your uh, Richard Lewis? No, no, no. no, no, no. Because uh, I saw him on no. Broadway in Rashomon. Oh, my God. So there was Homolka as a Japanese who made wigs. And I can still hear, what did it matter that I cut off the hair? They were dead anyway. And I saw Oscar Homolka in 79th and Park. Now, wow. uh, for people out there, Russia, Rashomon, uh, that became a, that was first a play, yep. I think. And then a Japanese Kurosawa movie. movie, yeah. And it became a very popular sitcom. Rashomon? Rashomon yes. the sitcom? Yeah. It be, no, <laughs> oh, not, you the format. Uh, the format right. became very popular oh, on sitcoms, oh, um, where they'd have a sitcom where a character would go, oh, that was the worst evening of my life, and then each one You'd see someone else's tell. view right. of that yeah, evening. There was a yeah. famous All in the yeah. Family All episode in the family, like, like that. The yeah. Odd Couple. I'm told by our staff, by Homage the way. Homage to Kurosawa. Uh, Oscar Beregi? Ah, uh, yes, Oscar Beregi. There you go. Is that yeah. the guy? Yeah, I, I believe you. <laughs> I'm still working on Richard Liu. People are going to be calling you up if we don't come up <laughs> yes. with, with now, the first name of Now, will you please do your Richard Liu before it gets totally up. sidetracked. Say again. Oh, wait. You're, we got fortune. And so, I'm playing the bitter end, and I'm... There's a rumor that my career will soar and that I will move to the Village Gate <laughs> if I get a second show, a phenomenon nobody warned me about. The same audience stayed at the bitter end again, and you and Woody and whoever and Cosby and unknowns like Joan Rivers and uh, some one somebody called Rodney Dangerfeld who was introduced <laughs> as one day, um, had to have a second show. And terrified, I went on to the exact same audience, and I managed to fill out 15 minutes by all but doing Richard Liu, <laughs> telling them how much I loved him, telling them what movies he was in, Purple Heart, First Yank into Tokyo, uh, Purple Heart was the best. Uh, and, and, and I don't look like him, so you'll have to close your eyes. Anyway, I'll, so I'll, sh I'll finally, I managed to kill almost a whole show worth. And uh, if you wouldn't mind playing this little playlet with me, uh, all you have to say, Gilbert, is from the Purple Heart, where they tortured some B-29 prisoners from the Doolittle Raids captured. All you have to say is you'll never get any of my men to talk, Colonel Mitsubi. And I'll go into Richard Liu if I can hit it. If I don't hit it, we'll take it out. Okay. <laughs> You'll never get any of my men to talk, Captain Mitsubi. Colonel. Oh, Colonel. You'll never get <laughs> any... You'll never get any of my men to talk, Colonel Mitsubi. I must remind you, Captain, that a chain is no stronger than its weakest rank. Wow. God, the whole audience burst. Unfortunately, there are 200 people here. 
<laughs> I got him on the show. Yeah. Wow. I had him on my show. They put him on as a surprise way early, well, out in yeah. California. It's one of the shows the morons erased. Yes. Um, for the Let's Make a Deal episodes. For the Let's Make a Deal. You have, you're a homework bugger. Um, <laughs> he can't, we had a, I had a surprise guest every day, El Capitan Theater, out before the curtain in one, the beautiful curtain closed. And here's today's Hollywood guest. The curtain's open slightly in the band. And there stood Richard Lou. Uh, just now, R- I got Richard like, fucking Lou. <laughs> yeah, he said. It, I, I, yes, yeah, right. <laughs> I left out something. <laughs> he sat down and he had seen me do him on the Johnny Carson Tonight Show, and he said, "Mr. Cavett." <laughs> We have reason to believe that they came from an aircraft carrier of the Hornet variety. And I died. That's great. Change postcards and things. I I remember he said that in a movie. Yeah, I remember. Because I always remember aircraft carrier. Of an aircraft carrier. Yeah, and... um, Oh, God, he made a lot of films. Um... What's the one on a mountaintop in Hong Kong with Bill Holden and everybody? Oh, and that. Uh, that was one of his later films. But Burma Road, the, the Purple Heart is the one to see. It's a very fine film. Uh, uh, Dana Andrews, um, Sam Levine, a whole company of flyers who, as in fact happened, but the Doolittle raids over Tokyo, they went going knowing they didn't have enough fuel to get back, and many couple crashed. And others landed in occupied China. Oh, and you like dialects, and you have the ear, but it's required. <laughs> in the Purple Heart, the plane yeah. crashes. <laughs> they survive. And Dana Andrews and uh, some of the other crew members um, are picked up by a corrupt Chinese overlord, presumably an ally, right? And his son, played by Key Luke. The actor playing the Chinese overlord had an exaggerated accent, and Key Luke couldn't do one for shit. <laughs> and, and you got the following. I was just going to ask you to do a little Key Luke. Yeah, Shall I do a little Key was, yeah, number, number, was, was the number, number one son. You know him from number one son. In, in the Charlie one Chan. The Google Charlie it, Chan. folks. Uh, and all, all white actors playing Charlie Chan, and Key yeah. Luke was yeah. his son. He never let an Asian play Charlie no. Chan. So you heard... Hello, gentlemen. My name is Jen Chuling, governor of Kunwan province. And this is my son, Moy. Hello, gentlemen. <laughs> Watch for it. You'll just... Dick, let me ask you about something we just, we just alluded to, that some of the, the great late-night Cavett episodes that were foolishly taped over by ABC. No late-night ones. Oh, it wasn't the late-night ones? It was the daytime Dick Cavett show, and, and, which, in fact, I have to be reminded was called the morning show at first. And then they did me the twin honor of changing it to the Dick Cavett show and also using the tapes to tape Let's Make a Deal on and illegally, like something Richard Nixon would do. 
Were there some great ones that were lost? Some? Yes, I can't think about it. I don't know if you want it revealed the interior of your apartment, of the Gottfried apartment, but behind me is a stunning canvas of Groucho Marx and really good. So uh, there was a show. <laughs> Sorry to bring the room down. show with Groucho and his dear friend, Harry Ruby, the great Harry oh, Ruby. Oh, we were the just talking. We, we were talking about that. of yeah. words and the songs he wrote. And he was the funniest, most lovable man. He's on an episode of You Bet Your Life, Harry Ruby, if you want to see him. He was played by Red Skelton in the movie. They looked a little like him, but nothing like him. Um, <laughs> And uh, they raced that. I had people that would make a movie buff's mouthwater on those early shows. Um, Gail Sondergaard. Um, did I have Percy Hilton, possibly? The, the, the trivia expert people. Mm-hmm. Um, well, some of those Carson shows, the New York Carson shows, were, were taped over as well. Oh, a ton a shame. of them. And Jack shame. Parr's prime yeah. late night. His prime was not as good as his late night. Jack's neuroses and strangenesses and weirdnesses and danger and all his electric neurosis were in the late night show, and you couldn't take your eyes off him. The great Kenneth Tynan said, when Jack's on the screen, if there are two people, even if it's Cary Grant or the ghost of Houdini, you can't take your eyes off Jack for fear you might miss a live nervous breakdown. <laughs> it was so true. I, I think to Ernie Koufax, they called his wife Edie Adams, the Edie Adams mm-hmm. and yeah. they said it was just some guy who worked at the network, and he said, look, you better rush over here right away. They're going to burn all of his shows. Oh, I have heard yeah. this and hoped it was... Yeah. Did they get there? I think she got and saved what she could. Well, I have one like that that will kill selected people. A friend of mine went up to NBC to meet a friend for lunch one day, and he said, my friend was so depressed. I said, why? And he said, I just erased George S. Kaufman's first appearance on The Tonight Show with Jack Buck. Oh, jeez. Groucho's God, George S. Kaufman. Oh, God. Yeah, I remember that appearance almost word for word, and, and I must have been still in Nebraska when it, when it aired. Um, where were we going? Uh, nowhere. I, I think was, I, I want to hear some more Richard Liu, I think. No, I thought I slurred off I, I remember one time uh, at some event... I started doing the Groucho imitation to you, mm-hmm. where I started following you around, going, uh, and then I met Grace Harry Ruby. And at first you were laughing, That's, and then you, you were... gave tr- me goop chills. Yes. Because <laughs> everybody else does Groucho. Yeah. Yes, I need to follow me, and they don't get it. See, I can't do the young Groucho anymore. It's that, that soft-voiced yeah. old Groucho, just velvet soft voice, yeah. And I remember so much worked with us in some of those movies. And uh, she was always, she never understood what I was talking about. You're making me cry, Because, <laughs> because she would say, Julie, what does that joke mean? And, and she never understood. And then the, the joke meant. <laughs> 
I remember sitting there when he said that. I also noticed another thing sitting next to Groucho. He was surprised by things he said. I mean by that, he heard them as we did. He didn't think I'm going to say this. You said something, and he said thing, and then he'd give a little laugh like, "Hey, that wasn't bad." Oh wow! You know, yes, where, yes. And you've had it yourself. You've yeah. you've said something and thought, "Geez, that was good." I didn't even have to think it. I oh said yes, it. yes. Very true in in Groucho, even as he got uh, older. One day, do you dare me to tell you a Groucho story? Absolutely, you may never love it. Absolutely. One day. He and Tony Randall were in their tuxedos backstage, I think at the music hall, for some big special, and they were asked to step aside back there in the hall while they brought some scenery through or something. And would you two gentlemen just go into that room? And they went into a room, and the room was a dressing room. And suddenly from the other end, it filled with chorus girls uh, who stripped mother naked and got into some jungle costume <laughs> as Groucho and Randall stood there in their tuxedos. You see Groucho holding his cigar and saying to Randall, you know, you don't get this in the pants business. <laughs> Good stuff. I think what any other comedian might have said, it wouldn't have been that. <laughs> Is it true that when you introduced him uh, at, the, uh, at some of his comeback shows, that you actually walked out on stage and said, I can't believe that I know Groucho Marx? Yeah, I, people get sick of my saying that kind of thing. And I was a starstruck boy from Omaha, uh, from, Jesus, I must be drunk, Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you why I thought Omaha, because I, I would go over there sometimes to see things that didn't play Lincoln, like Spike Jones. So or, you don't uh, remember where you were born? It's the state, right? I've never yeah. known for sure. <laughs> this is strange, but it, almost like, how can you now, how, explain this, boys and girls? Okay. Here's a man who uh, grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska, Grand <laughs> Island, Lincoln, Nebraska. <laughs> and before he went east to school, in Lincoln, Nebraska, he had met Dane Clark, Basil Rathbone, Charles Lawton, Agnes Moorhead, Charles Boyer, Cedric, I was corrected on that by Stephen Fry, Cedric Hardwick, Henry Fonda, and somebody else. Oh, you know something? I remembered a Cedric Hardwick story. <laughs> Shoot. Sir okay. Cedric Hardwick. Sir to Cedric you. Hardwick. To you, buddy. He was Sir Cedric Hardwick. He was in Ghost of Frankenstein. That's right. Was mm-hmm. my favorite. Um... I had heard he had trouble with impotence. <laughs> Sir well, I think it Hardwick. came quite easily to him. <laughs> and and <laughs> we ought to be on the radio. <laughs> he had a problem with impotence, and he used to introduce himself as Sir Seldom Hard Dick. My God, you have collector's items like that. To Cedric Hardwick. I met him once in the doorway of the Algonquin, uh, and uh, it was freezing cold, and I thought, i got to say something to him. We were coming in opposite directions and holding the door for each other, and I said, 
This weather's not too good for the voice, I guess. (laughs) I was always, I could connect with him. Should I do his answer for you? Oh, please. Not too good. (laughs) I think I confused Cedric Hardwick with Cyril Richard. They would both hate you. (laughs) Fair enough. One was a foot and a half taller than the other and gay as a fruitcake. Cardwick's son was the was Watson uh, on on the Jeremy Brett Sherlock Holmes. So he oh, wasn't oh, the first oh. Watson. I think he was the second Watson. Well, the Jeremy Brett one. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. See, I was just Edward always... Hardwick. Yeah. yeah. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. I I think there was a story that Ralph Bellamy would tell that they were doing one of the Frankenstein movies and the director gave them this direction like Frankenstein is chasing you and the Wolfman is coming through the window and Dracula is coming out and we want you to react like you're fed up. Fed up. Yeah, and that (laughs) used to be their greeting to each other. From then on, Ralph Bellamy would see Cedric Hardwick, and they'd both go, so are you fed up yet? (laughs) (laughs) I loved little bits like that. Why don't you do a book of this fabulous collection of jewels that you have stored in your head like a toad? Yeah. Why am I wasting time talking to you when I should be doing this book? (laughs) Oh, but what I I were you, I'd turn on some sort of recording device. (laughs) That's an idea. But I remember when I was following you around with the Groucho thing, <laughs> you then eventually... swat you away. Yes, and you eventually ran into an elevator, and I wasn't able to stop the elevator in time, so I called your room <laughs> in the hotel. You don't really want to tell this, yes, do you? Yes, yes. Well, go ahead, okay. No, and then I just... Oh, tell us about... You used to write for Jerry Lewis. yes. You know how Jerry would come on and go, <laughs> I wrote that. That was yours? Yeah, that was mine. Uh, it's the only one he ever used. <laughs> no, and that Hindenburg of a show that he did uh, now, was, was this, one of the there most was expensive that, catastrophes. One that was like three hours long? It was two hours two long hours live. Of and totally unscripted, allegedly. Yeah, what's he going to do for two hours was the motto they flooded the country with oh, for about God. a year. And I liked Jerry very much and uh, then and now. And uh, But it was a load that he should not have taken on, and it was not possible, and he had he would get depressed and when his dad came around. and I don't, I don't Did you leave The Tonight Show, Dick, to go to that show? Uh, you might have, too, because <laughs> I did <laughs> I made 360 on the Tonight Show. Jerry did it for two weeks, liked me, wanted me on his big new show, and I wanted to be faithful to Johnny because we're both from Nebraska. And uh, (laughs) and for other reasons, I liked him so much. But, um, yeah, I went to my manager's office, and I heard the late Charles Jaffe talking to the Jerry Lewis ABC show saying, my client doesn't work for $800 a week. <laughs> and I said, "Get him back." It's true. I work for three sixty. Come on. Oh, and he got twelve hundred a week. Imagine a boy 
who had been a copy boy at sure. time a few years earlier at $60 a week getting 1200 a week with Jerry but that, that there were a lot of good there was a lot of good stuff in those shows and to my amazement they've just come out on a box set of all those shows Kennedy was shot um, near the end of the abbreviated run and after that I think about three more shows sort of dribbled out and then they quit but um, but I had a good time writing for him. I didn't hate Hollywood the way you're supposed to. I would now, I'm sure, but um, <laughs> I liked having an apartment in Bel Air. Uh, I liked seeing Johnny Weissmuller as my neighbor. Um, and, and I liked going to Paramount and sitting on the old Western set and then the New York set. and then the, That's where they take the that show, Street. Paramount lot? Yeah, and yeah. I heard John, well Johnny Weissmuller to anyone listening who doesn't was Tarzan. Yeah, and I heard toward the end he had gotten like Alzheimer's and would be in a home doing the Tarzan yell. That's sad. It's true. I uh, it was sad when I knew him. Um, I lived in one of those one of one of the million rectangular apartment two story high buildings with a pool in the middle that you have out there. <laughs> And one day, here came Tarzan, <laughs> a little pudgy, with his hair a little long. Actually, I didn't see him first. I heard yeah. him. I was just going to swim, and I heard, you're going to hit it. <laughs> and you know he had a high voice. Yeah. And um, here he was, carrying a very heavy suitcase, a smaller suitcase, and a six foot by four foot portrait of himself no i'll tell a lie a photograph full length tarzan and he said uh, i'm moving in here because my uh, apartment's my house being painted <clears throat> an excuse in hollywood when the, the irs had gotten you and you moved into an apartment and told people your house being painted the sad part is he was on the second floor and he was winded, having climbed one oh. set of stairs, and I helped Tarzan take. <laughs> wow! Uh, and if you'd told me when I'm Grand Island at the Grand Theater where I was first molested, uh, I would uh, watching Tarzan and Mia's mother uh, on the screen. That's right. I would carry a suitcase someday. I wouldn't been able to conceive of it. Now, I heard, getting back to, I heard Jerry Lewis basically is the nutty professor. It's like <laughs> one minute he's a nice, funny guy, and the next minute he could turn, like, totally evil on you. He never turned evil on me. Really? This is not to deny all the people who say that, <laughs> but I didn't see it. And, oh, my God, look at, listen, I'm getting a call on my phone. I mean, don't cut the... <laughs> Richard Lewis airs. Yeah, I'm not doing anything but a live show with... Yes? <laughs> uh, uh, this is the Gottfried show. I'm sorry about the laughter. They got a drunks here. The car is there. I was just going to ask him to do his bird okay. quote. Exactly. I'm sorry. Repeat what time it arrives. Okay, tell him I'll need 15 minutes beyond that. <laughs> okay, thank you. He's having uh, too much fun. Deposit your dime again. 
Remember when you deposited? Oh, yes. Whose great joke I, was it? No, I don't remember, but I, I always remember when I would be on a payphone and I'd hang up, it would ring back and say you owe like yeah. 25 yeah. and nobody would pay that it was idiotic everybody never knew. yeah was it in mike nichols and was it nichols and may's great phone thing or some other comic i think it might have been some other comic and maybe shelley berman who got to that point in his bit and then she said voice said you must deposit 15 cents and he said well i can't but i'll take your name and address <laughs> <laughs> I hope that's true. Yeah, that that used to be on those payphones. Mm-hmm. They would call you back, and you'd have to pay. Yeah. But then they realized that was so stupid. No one would ever pay. What would you do? Would you just say, "Okay, here it comes," and then? Ah, uh, yes, yes. I would always, I would always I hang up and walk off yeah. with the phone ringing back. Or say, oh, good. <laughs> Frank Nelson. A little Frank Nelson. Oh, tell us the Jack Benny story. All right, but would it be more appropriate to tell a quick Frank Nelson story? Oh, okay. Frank Nelson was... Oh, set up who Frank Nelson yeah. was. This will strike you as improbable. I promise. Okay, so... Uh, I don't know whose voice to do it in, so... <laughs> I'll do it in mine instead of Jack Warden. Or, um... <laughs> Let's say I'm sitting with Streisand in the Kennedy Center in Washington. Of course, that Kennedy Center, not the one in Broken Bow, Nebraska. <laughs> and uh, the theater has emptied. It's an NBC special, but it's lunch. And everybody's gone, so an overhead shot shows the two of us occupying only two seats. And a gopher comes over to those unskilled in showbiz jargon, a young kid who runs errands on a show. Kid in jeans, loafers, T-shirt, comes over, very polite, said, Tracen, do you, you want some coffee? And she said, uh, yes, sugar and cream. Do you like coffee, Mr. Cabot? Now, I think it's the fact that he said, he phrased it that way. But anyway, do you like coffee, Mr. Cabot? Ooh, do I? <laughs> And then he looked sort of startled, of course. And I said, I got to explain quickly. There was a thing called the Jack Benny Show long before your time. And there was this very funny character actor on it uh, whose name was Frank Nelson. And he said, I know he's my father. Wow. Oh, my God. Just cue the theremin music wow. in the Twilight wow. Zone. I almost passed out. And... Um, now, skeptics have said, well, how do you know he was? Sure. Well, he was. He talked about his dad. He said the one thing his dad hated the most, and don't be offended by this, from something we said earlier, was being mistaken for Gail Gordon on the Lucy Yes, they, they both, both did had, the right. same thing. Yeah. yeah. Wavy duck hair, little mustache. And always like that. And a little fruity. And they're, oh, yes. Um... I found an old Life magazine recently, and there's Frank Nelson on it, and all it says is, yes. <laughs> he had the whole country. Uh, Frank Nelson was on the cover of Life magazine. Cover, wow. full cover of Life magazine back in the heyday of the Benny show. Gee, it's fun to watch those old Benny shows now. Oh, yes. When you were on the Joy Behar show, Dick, and you were a guest when we first met, and you told this wonderful Benny story about the meeting the, meeting the fans, the out-of-towners in the elevator. Oh, Yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> Care to favor the, us? Uh, the, the special on HBO called Mel Brooks and Dick Cavett together again. I think I got the biggest laugh with that of anything I did that night. <clears throat> it's a sweet story. Jack Benny, and a harmless story. Jack Benny being maybe the, certainly one of the cleanest comics who ever worked in radio and vaudeville and on. And lovely, and I don't know anybody in show business who disliked Jack Benny, and you can't say that about very many of our beloved colleagues. <laughs> Everybody liked him. I hung out because I was in hog heaven. Once I got the par job, I stayed at the tapings. I hung out with Bob Hope and Benny and all the comics, uh, Burl, whoever it was, I was around them. They were my people. I had made it. I had gotten to their world. And I was in the dressing room talking to Mr. Benny one day, and um, he ordered a glass of scotch, drank two inches of it, and walked out on stage. This is a separate story, but to me that was astounding, the most <laughs> relaxed man in the building. Anyway, that night, after the show, got in the elevator. So did some tourists who weren't supposed to get in that elevator. And in the seven floors, and this will test your age, in the seven floors down to the main floor, one person said, are you really cheap? Another one said, do you really play the violin? Are you old enough to know these references? Oh, sure. yeah. <clears throat> do you not really pay Rochester? Another one said. And he's such a nice man, and he'd smile and, you know, nod. And, uh, is it really a guy living under your house in a... You know, you know, like a vault type thing. Yeah. Did you really drive a Maxwell? I mean, or is that just a joke? And he endured all this nicely. I just so impressed. Got to the main floor. Everybody rushed off to tell their friends. I said, Mr. Benny, does that get kind of old? I mean, over the years, all that. And he said, he put his hand on my shoulder. And he said, you know, kid. Sometimes you, you just want to tell them to go fuck themselves. <laughs> That's gold. Oh, I loved it. It's great. The voice that came out of my radio. Oh, God, I would, I would trade a lot for that experience. Hmm. Well, how do we get off on a laugh? Two bald guys put their heads together and made an ass of themselves. <laughs> well, do you... <laughs> what if we fired some names at you yes. and, we, and we, you just gave us a, a, a little short response? Okay, well, you about keep track of my these... time. Absolutely. I'm, I'm Absolutely. Our staff, our staff, our crack staff is keeping track. <laughs> uh, Alfred Hitchcock. During a commercial break, sort of not looking at me directly, Great Kelly, the most promiscuous woman I've ever known. <laughs> That's one Hitchcock story. <laughs> That'll do. <laughs> he was just great. He was such fun. He, he did the bit. Uh, Maestro Brickman was working for me, and I think he was the one who had the idea of having our two profiles at the beginning of the show in shadow, Hitchcock's and mine. Marshall Brickman uh, who went on to co-write Annie Hall. That's right. Famously. Yeah, and, 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 uh, and Jersey Boys, too. That's right. Um, 
What about Salvador Dali? Oh, wait a minute. I get you. Okay, but one quick thing with Hitchcock. Oh, sure. He said, I, I know the man to my right does him better than I do, but shall we reveal the secret of doing Hitchcock that you, I think Larry Storch told this one. Oh. All you have to do to do Hitchcock is to raise your voice slightly and pretend you've got a bit of meat stuck in your rear right top molar <laughs> curve, which gives you... I wanted to do a movie once in which it's an assembly line and there's a frame of an automobile. <laughs> and then they add the fenders and it moves along and they add the doors and that moves along and they add the windows and then they add the top and then they add the trunk and then it is a completed automobile and you open the door and a dead body falls out. <laughs> that was a fantasy of a movie he wanted to do. He also announced that he had never, ever, right up to that day, looked through a camera. I'm not sure exactly what that means, except he was famous for, like, cartoon strips, working out the entire movie in every shot on paper, drawing the figures and the dialogue, and they said making it was just sort of dreary after that. Now, what about... Groucho's girlfriend or secretary toward the end of That's his life. That's a terribly long story, best told by my friend Steve Stolier in a book called Raised Eyebrows. A, a young woman, vivaciously pretty at the f first, uh, attached herself to Groucho, and there are two schools of thought, and they are, she saved his life, brought him back to life, he was a lonely old man, taking walks, trying to, t to talk to strangers because he had no do, and he'd walk past a neighbor's house hoping to be invited into dinner. And it just and Aaron Fleming, her real name was Aaron Fleming, uh, <laughs> came in to his life and got him to do concerts, got him to Carnegie Hall, and was also an abusive psychotic. <laughs> um, that's in a nutshell. Yeah, that's... The, nicest thing I could say. I got along with Aaron Fine. Uh, some will remember a trial on CNN. I remember About it. the money. Sure. And sure. there was a scene televised. She'd gotten a fight with a guard about her purse. She wasn't going to give it up. She said, that man killed Groucho Marx, pointing at the judge. And she, she was losing her mind by then. And it was a very sad and long story. And she later shot herself. Um, I'm surprised no one's made a movie either based on that, not not a Groucho Aaron movie, but something. Raised eyebrows. Oh, and before we forget, uh, someone died. We, I was talking with Frank about it. Someone oh, yeah. died on your show. Yeah, that, that's. Uh, I, I think I'm the only, if there's a Guinness Book of Records, the entry for having a guest die is probably occupied only by me. Uh, during a taping, J.I. Rodale. <laughs> Who would the gods have die on a show but a health expert? <laughs> and that's a long story, and I can refer you to my book. Um, it's in here. Yeah, the talk, talk show. show. Oh, you've got a that's a that's like a galley. Copy. Yeah, it's a galley it's a copy. Rare collector's item. Um, and, and it was. And Pete Hamill totally, was on there with totally. you, was he not? Pete Hamill was sitting there and got the column of his year, at least, the <laughs> next day, uh, as the men um, perished in front how, of the How audience. did it happen? Heart attack. Like, 
Yeah, no, but I mean... Oh, he's, on, he was very funny for half an hour in his segment. I made a mental note to have him back. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he sat down on the, on the couch, and uh, Hamill came out, and suddenly I heard... <laughs> and uh, Hamill, forgetting or not realizing he was in close-up at the moment as it happened, said, this looks bad. And I looked over, and there was Mr. Rodale uh, in the death rattle... Um, and years later, Catherine Hepburn wanted to hear everything about that. When I first met her, her dad was a doctor, and she always gave medicine to people she worked with. And, <laughs> and uh, I said, why do you suppose I found myself at the edge of the stage saying, is there a doctor in the um, audience? And she said, well, you know that uh, there's a doctor in the house would get a laugh. <laughs> and she was right, and it would have. And the audience didn't think it was real because there's makeup and band and entertainment. <laughs> you don't die in that situation. That was horrible. And all of us forgot that... All of us forgot until a week later when we watched the ghastly tape that... Um, he had said, among other things, I plan to live to be 100. <laughs> you tell your creative writing student, take that out. Yeah. And I never felt better in my life. The worst thing you can ever hear from anybody, including yourself. What about Olivier? He What's your fine. memory? He was just fine. He's a nice guy. Hell of a tap dancer. <laughs> I have borrowed a Mel Brook answer about, you, did you know Hitler? <laughs> Do you want to know if never may never have been revealed? Olivier was quite was great, of course. It's never been revealed. But I know if Mel may not, why he came up with the phrase "springtime for Hitler." When we were improvising the Ballan the notorious Ballantine beer commercials years ago. He was the twenty five hundred year old brewmaster, and I was the young interviewer. Sir, have you you know? Uh, they couldn't get Carl, and uh, they got me. I was totally unknown. It was great fun, most fun I ever had. Mel imp we improvised for three, four hours at a time. And uh, there was a play that the great Edward Everett Horton started doing when he was about 30 called Springtime for Henry. And he was still doing it when he was 60 and 70. Wow. That's where it came from, huh? Springtime for... And I just know that, you know, how Mel's mind would be. He would take part of a thing and put it together yeah. or something else. And uh, I'd say, what are you going to call the thing? And he'd say, let's call it uh, Springtime for Hitler. <laughs> I know that's where it came from. I don't know if Mel knows that. <laughs> but I hope so. But I'll tell him. Here's a cliche. You've never tasted this beer, have you, sir? I can say anything I wanted. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you've ever tasted Ballantine beer. Taste some now. Well, all right, Fluffy. Uh, <laughs> let's see. I shall pour some into my swizzle or mouth. Mm, mm. Oh, do you like it, sir? My tongue just threw a party for my mouth. <laughs> Are those available anywhere, Dick? Can anybody fi find those on, uh, I on, have on the a internet? Of you have them? DVDs of them. I don't know. People wrote in. Loved those commercials so. It'd be great to and see. And said, what can we do to keep them on? The beer is like piss, and we can't drink <laughs> it. <laughs> but I bought two six-packs, hoping it will help keep your commercials on. They wrote to the I'd love to see agency. them. Oh, another one we wanted to ask you about, because he just died recently, and that's Sid Caesar. 
I say, yeah, because one of the reasons I'm late going home now is I owe the Times a piece on Sid. I got to call him Sid after a while. Um, and I think I'll tip the title. Uh, I think I'm going to call it It Was Like Looking at a God when wow. I first saw him. Uh, I sat in church in Nebraska all through high school, bored my ass off to sit in church, uh, and all I could ever think of on Sunday was show of shows the night before and things that said in Imogene Coca. Not Coco, you idiot. Uh, it did. And once day I thought, now there's a man sitting down there about his size. Could Sid Caesar physically be sitting in a same room or place that I am? No. He's a god off somewhere in New York, I believe they call it. Um, and eventually I met him, and eventually had him on shows. And uh, my last contact with him <laughs> was uh, Mel Brooks, of course, called and, and said, would you write a little thing about Sid? We're going to have a birthday party for him this last year. And uh, Carl and everybody, we'll go to his house and we'll read these things. And I wrote something and. I heard that they read it to him and uh, all, all the things that people had written who couldn't be there. And that it was sad and that he was there, uh, just a shell of himself was left and uh, the next day he had forgotten the party. And he, The gods disliked him intensely. They, he suffered so. And uh, there was never anybody like him in any way. The, the most lavishly gifted comedian, probably, of my time. Now, people could say, <coughs> excuse me, was he funnier than Johnny Winters? That's a dumb question. How do you compare great, great, great comedians? You know, is yellow a better color than green? Uh, he, he certainly had a shitload of, of physical and mental and verbal gifts that was unprecedented. Little awkward in conversation. I just watched two sh shows he was on with other guests of mine for writing this. And then, years later, I was on CNBC and I did two half hours with Sid in Hawaii, I don't know, Atlantic City. He must have been in a great period of his life, maybe off the booze, maybe analysis was finally working for him. And he was the best talker you can imagine for three hours you almost want to say you couldn't shut him up he was so damn interesting he talked about everything i said could you do show of shows now he said no there are no skilled stagehands now who've done live television enough stuff like that it was just technical interesting uh and he was so happy with himself that these two half hours went so well and at the end of the second one he went what a great interview <laughs> <laughs> Not on camera. I mean, it was over by that time. But he was, I, I was so happy that I somehow had made him happy or comfortable or something in a way that he obviously had never been before. And I treasure those two half hours. What a man. I guess I have to get out of here now. Oh, did you know I was going to do a play off Broadway? Oh, tell us anything tell you have about the Yeah, it, it's, you, um, you know, a, a great uh, thing... Uh, event that got very ugly it happened on my 
PBS show when the great writer Mary McCarthy was on and talked about the uh, great writer Lillian Hellman in a way that caused Lillian Hellman to sue her. And it went on, the case went on for years. Uh, to most intelligent people, Lillian ruined her reputation uh, by pursuing this suit, this great advocate of free speech over the years, uh, and her hatred of McCarthy and the viciousness of the lawsuit. And um, um, a, a play was written by Nora Ephron about it. And a gentleman by the last name of Maury wrote a splendid new play on the same subject. And I read it with them one night. And somebody said, why don't you do the play with us? So I guess I will. And, uh, it's and at the Abingdon Theater. It'll be at the Abingdon Theater from mid-March to uh, mid-February to mid-March. About four or five weeks. And who do you play? But why yeah. do I get all the rotten parts? I <laughs> I was myself in uh, four or five movies and myself on The Odd Couple and myself on the, I don't know what all. Um, oh, Forrest Gump. That's right. And Apollo 13. <laughs> and Apollo 13. Am I in that too? Yes, you're in it. In a clip. Uh, yeah, and a, and a Frankenheimer movie. And Can't they get anyone Beetlejuice. else to do me? <laughs> well, Beetlejuice, at least some, I was yes, allegedly someone else. That's right. That's right. Yeah. But this will be uh, at the Abingdon, Abingdon Theater, and you can Google it, and it's called Hellman versus McCarthy. And boy, did it get dirty. Two women loathing each other. And part of it is the fraud that Lillian Hellman was toward the end. Martha Gellhorn, who'd been one of the women married to Ernest Hemingway, did an exhaustive piece about, remember Julia, the novel, and, and the movie where Jane Fonda played yeah. Billy Hellman? And the woman that story really happened to came forth saying, it was not Lillian Hellman, it was me. And, oh, it's just full of interesting, fascinating stuff. Your sort of thing. The serious <laughs> side of you that we see so often. <laughs> Will Richard Liu be mentioned at any point? I'll probably work Richard Liu in. <laughs> you should. <laughs> Jesus, I got to get out of here, you guys. Can okay. I, can please, I come back sometime? Please when do. There's, Absolutely. When there's, uh, 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 in fact, you have no say in the matter. You have to come back. <laughs> okay. Uh, hi, how's, I'm... How's later tonight? Oh, yeah. <laughs> You'll sleep over. Uh, I'm Gilbert Gottfried with my co-host Frank Sancho Pradre and Frank knows for it. And we've been speaking. He'll get to, it eventually. Well, say your name from Santo Padre. Santo Padre. He's got it. By about the seventh yeah. show, I figure yeah. he's going to nail it down. Yeah, one day, but there won't be a seventh show. I assure you. Uh, is, that, is that Santo Padre spelled the usual way? Yes. <laughs> yes. We've been speaking to Dick Cavett, and this is the amazing, colossal podcast. Thank you, Dick. It's and been a treat. Dick, you have to come back okay. anytime you can. Can I get a copy of this to my lawyer before it goes <laughs> Thanks, Dick. It's a treat.